there's my bad dog. <laughs> Amazing. This is what I'm saying. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly. Hey, Robert. In today's episode, in our last interview of season five, we talk Woo-hoo! with Abby Norman <laughs> about lament uh, to God in community and public lament as an agent of change. But first, Holly, how are you this week? Yeah, I'm. we're doing good. I'm good. My family's good. We're in the, this is the last week of school for when this episode comes out, it'll, you know, be the kickoff of the last week of school for my kids. And so there's, there's definitely a sense of relief, I feel like in our home right now. So yeah, so we're doing pretty good. What about y'all? Yeah, nothing. I don't know. I, I feel like recently a lot of what my response when you ask has been like, yeah, just kind of going along. But that that's kind of where we are is mm-hmm. you know, things kind of just going along, not a bunch of noteworthy things uh, jumping out or anything like that. So kind of in yeah. a, a smooth chunk of time here uh, in terms of, you know, major events or, or transitions or things like that, mm. which won't last long. I'm absolutely certain of. But, right. Uh, that is know, right. But, but Especially right now, in y'all's home. Right. So right now, kind of kind of smooth sailing. But yeah, I know we'll talk next week about kind of mm-hmm. the transition into summer and all of that as we do our like summer break episode before mm-hmm. we step away from the show for a little bit for the summer. But uh, you were telling me a little bit before we started recording about yeah. prayer time in your home with your kids. And uh, we're going to use that as our segue today. But tell me a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, sure. No, I... Um, I know before, I know every time we hop on these uh, recordings, it's just like, hi, how are you? As if like, you know, we haven't been talking for a few minutes before each time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we were, um, Robert and I were talking a little bit about this episode and I was really thinking about and reflecting on the ways in which, you know, this conversation with Abby and how, you know, we can lament and wrestle and be honest with God just reminded me of the, you know, the prayer time in our home with our kids. So, so we have, for those who, you know, I haven't talked a ton about our kiddos, but our daughter is eight and her son is five. And for prayer time in our home, I mean, it's, um, it shows up with each meal. Um, it shows up at bedtime, but man, one of the things that I love so much about these, these sacred moments with our kids, when it comes to, prayer time, which they lead, is some of the honest wrestling and the honest thoughts that our kids have where there's no filter and they talk very honestly with God and with us as a family um, through their prayers. So, you know, whether that's, you know, the joy that they felt over getting to see a friend or, you know, things about their school day or things that they got to learn about, or I know our son has (laughs) prayed about, you know, dinosaurs and (laughs) just... (laughs) Who hasn't, really? 
Well, you know, maybe some of us are praying that Jurassic Park doesn't, you know, come back or anything like that as we see certain news headlines. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's really sweet and tender to see how our kids can be so honest in their prayers with God and with us as a family and um, just running the whole gamut of things that are important to them, that they have no problem mentioning are important to them and grieving and happy about and just the whole thing. So anyways, yeah, yeah, I just, I thought that was, I was just reflecting on that with you. I know before we hit record, as we were thinking about this episode with Abby and the ways that, and yeah, and her book in particular. So I feel like I've learned from them, but then again, it just feels like it echoes in this episode and conversation with Abby. So, so with that, do you want to tell us a little bit about this episode? Yeah, definitely. I know, obviously, we've we've referenced it a bunch already, but we talk with pastor and author Abby Norman, fellow Atlantan, so I always love that. Uh, mm-hmm. But she has a new book that just came out uh, this week, the week that we're recording this, so the week before that this episode releases, called You Can Talk to God Like That, The Surprising Power of Lament to Save Your Faith. And like I mentioned right up at the top, mm. we dive into what lament is, what that looks like kind of individually, right? Lamenting to God, what that looks like in community, how we can create space for that, and then public lament as an agent of change for kind of like bigger systemic problems, things like that. So yeah. I loved it. I, I mean, I, I love Abby um, and thought it was thought it was great. I, lament is something that I always have have started thinking about a couple years back, but then obviously in mm-hmm. kind of the work that we do is a very interesting kind of thing to to dig into and say like yes, this is a, a fundamental part of a, a faith life, a healthy kind of emotional faith life. And so yeah, loved it. I thought it was a, a great conversation. Yeah, me too, me too. And I I feel like it's um, I know we've had a few conversations, especially recently, that are that touch on this um, topic of lament and grief. And, um, and I think this, it just builds so beautifully on some of the um, previous conversations that we have, but Abby's unique voice with this and her perspective as a pastor and the ways in which she, um, as you mentioned, links lament um, to God um, and in community and that public lament piece. I just, I really, really love this conversation. So, well, we will get out of the way and let y'all enjoy, like I mentioned, our last interview of season five. It was such a fun one to end on. Mm -hmm. So, we'll let that transition and enjoy our conversation with Abby Norman. Enjoy, y'all. Hey, welcome back. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Abby Norman. Abby is a writer, blogger, speaker, and licensed local pastor in the United Methodist Church. Her writing has been featured in Huffington Post, She Loves Magazine, and The Mudroom. Abby lives in Atlanta, Georgia, so holler for Atlanta there, uh, with her college sweetheart, two daughters, and a very bad dog, which might be the funniest ending to a bio that I've read on the show. Mm. Uh, She's also the author of the new book, You Can Talk to God Like That, The Surprising Power of Lament to Save Your Faith, which as we're recording this releases tomorrow, but when the episode releases, I'll say has just released on May 18th. So uh, congratulations. We'll talk about that some today. Abby, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm really good. Good. Before we kind of dig into the topic of lament, is there anything else that our audience should know about you? Um. Well, I... I hashtag, I tweet with the hashtag Pastor on Prozac a lot. Okay. I think that is how we found each other initially, actually. Um, And yeah, I'm, I've been 
on the internet for a really long time. I was like, <laughs> me and my husband were talking about that. I started yeah. blogging in 2010 and have just sort of pulled on that strand. So if there's yeah. anything you would want to know about me, I probably wrote about it somewhere and it is available. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I know uh, your new book and and obviously our show today is centered around this topic of lament, right? So to start with, lament is one of those kind of words and topics that I think a lot of us have probably heard of, but maybe aren't super familiar with in kind of our, our day-to-day context. Could you maybe like define lament and tell us why it's so important? Yeah. So lament is the other side of the praise and worship coin. Hmm. It is a form of like the Bible even says that it's worship, but it's not praise and worship. Mm-hmm. It's interacting with God in a way where you're telling God, like, this is not okay. I am not okay. What you did to me, God, is not okay. Or God, the circumstances in which I am involved are are not okay. So it is the opposite of like, Lord, you're so good. Thank you for everything that you're doing for me. Also, a form of worship, according to the Bible, is like, God, seriously, get your crap together because this is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, that's helpful in understanding lament, especially being able to um, become more comfortable with this word, be more accepting of it, recognizing the importance of lament, which I I just wholeheartedly agree with you is something it's it's just really important that we uh, be moving into and and just growing more comfortable with. And so I recognize this book is structured in three parts, right? So there's lament to God. There's lament in community and public lament as an agent of change. The, my social work heart loves that last one, <laughs> by the way, just as a PS. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe each of these different parts and just kind of help walk our listeners through kind of what led you to write each of these three parts and like just tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, so I I think of – these parts as like if you drop a rock into a pond that they're like they're the circles Mm. Um, and so it starts with personal lament to god so if you are not comfortable going to god and if you were like a little horrified by what i just said before like you're not gonna be able to get anywhere else so you really have to start with like you and god I'm sure this is my evangelical roots showing. And so you need to like be able to say to God, I'm not okay with this. I'm angry. Actually, I'm not grateful. And then I'm not planning on being grateful. This part is just terrible. And I know that it's uncomfortable at first, but like Christianity is a practice. And so I love that you're allowed to be bad at it. Like, it's okay. You can be mm-hmm. bad at it because it's a practice. Yeah. We're just mm-hmm. practicing. Yep. And so once you can do that, very often, then it is really powerful to do it in community. I write a little bit in the book. I ended up attending this church in um, on the east side of Atlanta that I love dearly. But the culture of the church is extremely... And it is changing, so I don't want to, like, speak to a church I haven't been to in a while, even though my kids still attend there. But um, it is very – it was very 
upper middle class white and Southern, which I'm not, I was not raised Southern. I was raised in the Midwest. And so it just was like, I'm fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. It's great. And I'm like, so not like that. And so like literally for the first three months that I attended the church, I was like healing from a lot of church hurt from my previous church. It's just like in a really exhausting time in my life. I just wept every service. I was like literally the only one crying and I would just like weep. And at first people were like, is she okay? And then, cause it was like, no one else was doing that. This was not a normal practice. And here I am like, <laughs> and, um, and I also just like keep it extremely real during small group. And so they'd be like, do you have a prayer request? And I'd be like, yeah, I want to die instead of going to my job which was true. Like I hated it. I was having mm. such a hard time. People were like, okay, you know, but then six or seven months later, out of the blue, someone who I thought was like giving me the side eye texted me at 10 o'clock at night. Hey, what do you do when you're mad at God? And I was like, oh, you just, y'all don't know oh. how to do this. Yeah. It isn't that yeah. you like think I'm crazy. In fact, as I got to know a lot of the people and especially the women, I would get those texts like uh, more often than you would expect. Like, mm. hey, I'm pissed at God or like, I don't know what to do about this or like, I'm I'm feeling this and you're the only one that I can tell because I did it. And so like yeah. community lament is so important because mm -hmm. that's where we learn how to do it. And we learn that it's okay. And we learn that we're allowed to say those things because um, yeah. if you don't see anybody do it, like, how do you know that you're allowed to do that? Yeah. Right. And then public lament, I think comes from there and public lament as an agent of change is like, we are so good human beings are so good at normalizing almost anything like we can really it's amazing what we can just be like oh yeah i mean that's just how it is right mm -hmm. and and mm -hmm. so public lament is the opportunity for us to say like actually it doesn't have to be this way it could be different actually this is not okay this is not it shouldn't be normal like i think yeah. about school shootings like when yeah. I I was a C no, as a freshman in high school when Columbine happened. And now my kids, they do school shooting drills, like mm, I don't know, for like once a month or something, like as often as they do mm. fire drills. Mm. And I'm like, uh, you guys, like this this actually is not normal. Yeah. I know that we have normalized it, but it's not normal. And so I think public lament that is an opportunity to remind people what is and is not okay. Yeah. I love that, the kind of the like concentric circles, mm -hmm. right? And and I picked up on that actually as I was looking through the book and, and getting ready for this. And so maybe if we like zoom in on each of those a little bit, right? And now that we kind of understand that framework for someone that says, okay, fair enough. Like I kind of get it, but like lamenting to God for me, like I've never done that. What does that, what does that look mm. like? You know, if someone says, okay, I've, I don't really even know where to start. Um, yeah, I think it can look like a lot of different things. One of the favorite things about my book, and I'm sure it comes from being in the classroom in a decade, is that there are like exercises at the end of each chapter. So it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I am writing this book because you don't know how to do this. 
So first I'm going to tell you why you should do it. And then I'm going to tell you, give some suggestions about how you might be able to do that. So one of the things is that the Psalms are, the lament Psalms follow a distinct pattern. And they're always the same Mm. pattern. So you can steal that pattern and then you can write your own lament. So that Mm. is something that I got to do in seminary. I was working as a youth prison chaplain and we wrote laments with the kids in the jail. Mm. And it was so powerful, but we really did have to prove to them, like, actually, you are allowed to say those things to God. Actually, you can say that this isn't fair. Like, actually, you don't have to be like, I'm sure God did this for a reason. I don't think God incarcerated you for a reason. Mm. Like, that's actually not true. Yeah. And you can be mad at God about that. And so, yeah, you just like can follow the outline that the Bible gives us that people have been using for a really long time. Um, I... As I was writing the book, I was reading more and more about like how we keep negative feelings in our bodies, right? And I think mm-hmm. that this is an extreme, yeah. like just the amount that's been put into the public discourse during the pandemic about like, oh, so your body is actually holding all this trauma. I'm a big fan of like breaking things. Like I, mm. I wish, I mean, truly and deeply, I wish that people, you could go into a church and they would be like, Hey, if you're mad at God, like here's our stack of goodwill plates. Like this is the line you stand behind and that's where you throw them. Like go worship. That sounds, over like, there. A, that sounds like a great ministry opportunity right there. Yeah. And, and there are these just things. Throwing- <laughs> yes. Like mm-hmm. I just need to break some crap. Like that's mm-hmm. fair. Like burning things, breaking things. I mean, very many of us who were raised in church had those like youth group moments where you'd like burn whatever you needed to burn or whatever. Like (laughs) it's a little, it can be a little cheesy. Also it's super powerful to like Mm. physically do something. I'm like, throw a tantrum like a four-year-old. Like why not throw yourself on the floor and just like scream until you're tired. All of that should be allowed. And all of that is worship. Mm. That's That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that engagement, I think just that engagement is what's so important. And then like you were saying, paying attention to our bodies, storing all of that. I know that's something Robert and I talk about often and, you know, we've had some folks on to talk about before too, but just how like you have to be able to move through those emotions that are stored within our bodies Mm -hmm. Um, and we need spaces to do that in a safe way for both for ourselves and those around us, obviously. Yeah. But also the church used to do that. Like they would do that together. That was like a pretty normal thing. And I say it as though it doesn't happen in other cultures and other countries. Right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So I know in uh, in that first bit there, right, a lot of us are going to say, okay, well, I actually don't really even know what, what has happened. Like I've for so long, I haven't really been able to kind of do that. So I like kind of don't know even what I'm feeling, right? Because I've been, I've kind of had this viewpoint of like anything that's not positive is negative, right? Like all these unpleasant feelings are bad, so to speak, right? Uh, Any ideas on kind of figuring out or like getting in touch with, with any of that to then know maybe what you need to do? So listen to what you're saying to other people 
And every time you say, but just stop. Hmm. So as a pastor, like one of the most powerful things I do is just listen to people and then interrupt them when they start discounting themselves. So like, I've just, I mean, people just say the craziest things. And so like, they'll be like, well, the pandemic has been really hard and my husband of 60 years died and my grandson and his mom, my daughter are in the hospital for cancer, but I'm grateful. No. And I can say like, mm-hmm. actually, you don't have to be grateful. Wow. That sounds so hard. Hmm. So like hmm. interrupt yourself, like hold back that bit. That's like, but it's fine. I mean, I just think like just so many. So I think it's still like this, but like so many people were in what I've heard called the tired thirties where we're hmm. like, have kids. We're exhausted. Both me and my husband went, finished graduate school. Like, we're so tired. There's so much going on. And then something else will happen. And just don't stop saying, but it's fine. Like, it's too much. Like, what the world is asking for 30-somethings right now is actually way too much. Hmm. And start saying that instead of saying, but it's fine. But we're good. But we'll, we'll be okay. You can just say like, and it's really hard. Yeah. Yep. I haven't heard that phrase before, but I really appreciate knowing it now. That feels somewhat, it just feels, it's good to know that phrase. The tired 30s. Yes. And as someone who is about to, in a couple years, going to leave her tired 30s. And I had kids pretty young. I had two kids by 27. And so- And then both of us went to graduate school. That was nuts. Mm. But like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 40 is going to be better. (laughs) Like, my kids are like, are just old enough where we don't have to have a babysitter. We could just be like, hey, Mm -hmm. you know how to work the oven? Here's a frozen pizza. Like, mind blowing. But yeah, like, it was just, it's a really hard, it's just tired 30s is a thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Well, and even just that practical piece about not including the but and letting go of that. I think that's something that any of us can pick up, that practical tidbit and remind ourselves when we want to say the but, you know, before any bypassing statement to be able to instead just pause when we think of that word and maybe redirect or end the statement. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So then part two, right, talks about lamenting in community. And you talked about it some there in terms of just expressing some of that to other people as well, right? Can you talk some about that chunk of it, whether it's whether you mean, I don't know, I'm, I think because of the way that I think of lament in like classic, like Job yelling at God that I picture like going into where everyone's hanging out and being like, ah, you know, but like, what do you t- tell us a little bit about like what that looks like? Well, I would be okay with that. I actually kind of (laughs) love that idea. Uh, But I know that that (laughs) I might be the minority there. Um, Find your people. And and I get it. I know how hard it can be to find your people. And I feel like that is some generic advice that everyone gives. So first of all, if you stop saying but, find the people who that doesn't make uncomfortable. 
and you can hang out with them uh that because they can handle it find the girl who is weeping like who are the people who are crying in public like they're going to be super safe mm. promise as a public crier mm -hmm. find the people who you can text like this is really mad hard i'm really mad at god and one of one of the most practical parts and I think like the exercise, if you don't do any of the other exercises in the book, do this one is in this section, I talk about, okay, make a list of what you need when you are struggling and don't shame yourself about any of it. Mm. And then make a list at what are you are, what are you good at when other people are struggling? So like, Hmm. I need presence, you guys. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's my love language. Okay. It makes me happy. Like, I had to write a book in a pandemic. My friend Megan Westra sent me like 10 pounds of gummy bears because she was like, all right, I need mm. your favorite writing snack because you cannot write one sentence of this like at a coffee shop. Mm, yeah. Nothing. Just yeah. like Oof. in your house with your kids. Everyone's homeschooling. Yep. Summer is terrible. You can't go anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. she was like, all right, you need some gummy bears. And I was like, actually, I do. Uh, and yeah. just like mm -hmm. having them there was just like, a, I'm an Enneagram too. I am deeply communal. Having them, them there was like such a good reminder that like people were with me, that this was not yeah. happening in isolation. Now, and other I'll say, yeah. sorry, I was going to point out that you even at one point had asked like, hey, people in Atlanta, if I can come right on your back deck, yes. like, let me do that. So you almost oh, came, you, were, you almost came and wrote some out back here and the day of something happened right but yeah. like that mm. idea of this is a safe way i'm still i won't come inside because obviously that was like right yeah during beginning but i was we, gonna we yeah there. i had planned to like write on your back deck my friend yeah. had an outside porch with a fan and she like set coffee out and then left and like one of the things that i think is really hard for people to understand is that like people actually want to help you like we desire to be mm -hmm. in community now i mm -hmm. think a lot of us don't know what we need and this is something like my sister said the other day, she was like, you're so good at asking for what you need. But that's like a practice that I've cultivated for almost 10 years is saying like, actually what I could use is this. Yeah. And that's, so, and that's, well, I was going to say, that's pretty amazing too. You identified as a, for you to identify as a, uh, an Enneagram too, and to know how to ask for what you need. That shows that's a lot of yeah. good work you've done. It's so hard. It Every is so hard. Time. I keep doing yep. it, but like, and it gets a little bit easier, but like this much easier every time. Yep. Yeah, it's a practice. It's for a real. practice. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not good at it. And so, but I, I, I have gotten better at it. And so, but one of the things I do is I now know what I need. You know, like I think my friend who's an Enneagram seven, uh, we have to be careful because I, if you're going through a hard time, what I want to do is like sit with you and feel your pain. And she's like, oh my gosh, please somebody stop it and tell me a joke. <laughs> Her, our other friend, Gina, is much better at the distracting. So it's okay. Like if you, if, if she's in a space where she needs distracted, I should not be her go-to. And mm -hmm. that's not, and then also we need to learn to like not take it personally. Like, yeah, what do you need? And I just think in my mind, okay, so I have like this magical church in my mind where I get to do all of these crazy things, like have a room where you throw plates. And one of the things mm -hmm. is I would love to have a database 
where everyone in the church fills this out. Like, what do you need? And then like, what would make you feel better? And what can you provide? And then we could mm-hmm. just match them. You know, like one of the things that I desperately needed when I had two kids under two, they're 16 months apart and my husband was in graduate school. Okay. Oof. But, Ooh, yeah. and I was going to a more conservative church, but I will say I could go to church every single week and I did not have to hold a child for an hour. People walked up to me and plucked those babies right out of my arms and were like, mm. you're good here. Go go drink your hot coffee. And mm-hmm. I needed that. But what's amazing is for other people, baby holding is healing. Hmm. Like yeah. I had the ministry yeah. of letting other people hold my babies and they had oh. the ministry of baby holding. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, that's a thing. Like, I think we just need to know, like, and we need to be able to be honest with ourselves and we need to be like, there are times when I have a lot to give and there are times when the only thing I have to give is like, if you would like to hang out with my toddler, you can come pick her up. But also mm-hmm. that's something to give. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So I was I was going to ask and I think you got into some of it right there, but if if we're talking about lamenting as being important for ourselves, then maybe this is, I I would assume you'd say as a community it's important to have spaces for others to be able to lament as well. Yeah. Right? So how can we help create spaces where lamenting is normalized, encouraged and and responded to well? Okay, well the easiest first baby step you can do is corporately as a church when you're having corporate prayer, whoever is praying can say, God, we recognize there are hurts that have not been said. And we know that you see those. So just like assume that mm-hmm. they're not telling you because they are and they're not. And just starting there leaves people with the space to be like, oh, they they know that's invited i'm allowed to i'm allowed to feel like this so like if you read my whole book and the only thing you get is like oh i am allowed to feel like this then that's a win you know i think you need i would love for people to preach through negative feelings like so much. I did a whole Lenten series where I was like, what does God think about? What do you do when you're disappointed? What do you do when you're angry? What do you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're lonely? Because those are all very normal experiences for everyone to have. And they do not get talked about in the pulpit, especially in a way that's like, you are allowed to feel like this. This is something that is extremely normal. Of course, that is, those are the two words when I'm doing pastoral care that I say more than any other. People are like, well, da 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 and I'm angry. And I say, oh my gosh, of course you're angry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I think that's huge. I would love to have like a testimony time where people were like, these, this was a really dark time in my life and didn't end it with like, and then God sewed everything up and it was great. Yeah. I'm very good friends with Tanya Marlowe who has ME and she writes from the middle and she's like housebound and has been for like, I think 10 years. Wow. And she 
it's like, it's not like, what do you do with that? And one of the things that I think about a lot and Wright wrote about in the um, community section is that we need to be okay with people not being okay for a very long time. Yeah. 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 Like, because like, I just think about one of the gifts of the evangelical church is the meal train. And I will like, I will, I will die on that hill. Like the, like, it's so good, right? It's like something horrible Mm. happens. It's like, okay, well, what can we do? We can feed you. So we're going to do that. But I just think, okay, but are we willing to like, there's always a cutoff on the meal train, you know, it's like, how long are we going to let you be sick? It's like, well, Tanya might need a meal train forever. Mm. are we ready for that are we okay with that yeah Mm. it's such a shift in mindset from like being really good at acute responses which i think is like also needed right like right yeah right when something happens like we need to like really but then also this kind of sustained like what do we do when uh, i know we've talked on the show before about like when depression goes on for years right Mm -hmm. and and there is this kind of natural tendency it feels like to be like okay can we like i'm i'm tired of hearing about this thing you know but like how do we how do we get better at mm. that because that that's the reality of of way more thing maybe not more i don't know i can't quantify it but like there are just as many things that last for a really long time that people are hurting from as there are they're hurting in in like one moment um yeah. but you know how do we how do we do that and maybe those aren't the same people and maybe that's okay just like if you mm-hmm. want someone to sit in your pain, you call me. But if you need someone to distract you, don't call me because I will try to talk to you about it. I'm, I'm working on that, y'all. It's like a growing mm-hmm. edge for me. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, what do you do when, yeah, are you the acute person or are you the long haul person? Or can, I mean, are you a switch hitter? Like that is, but those are good questions. Like I know people who are so good at like the emergency mm-hmm. but then are not great at the long haul and they know that yeah. and i know yeah. and i know people who freeze in the emergency but like they can check on you every wednesday for the rest of your life yeah yeah no that's so good i really appreciate kind of thinking through all of the the different ways in which we can support one another and serve one another and be there for one another in community in this way to create to create that space that we've talked about that normalizes and encourages um, and responds to one another well. Some of what you were saying reminded me, I know when we had uh, Reverend Dr. Angela Gorell on talking about the gravity of joy, I, I shared a little bit about how the um, faith community that my family and I have been going to for a while. Like, I don't want to say like half of the songs are songs of lament, but like they are a lot. There are many more songs of lament that we sing for that reason and that need to normalize. And so, you know, even just some of what you were sharing around how faith communities can be thinking about this reminded me of that and how helpful even paying attention to the songs that we're using within worship is play such a big role too, in addition to what's being said at the pulpit and all, mm-hmm. all of what you had just said. So yeah. Yeah. So that's been good. I'm like, where did you get, where are the lament songs? Because we need some more. Oh, well, I mean, I will tell. So it's um, UBC music is okay. if you look up UBC music, um, Jameson McGregor leads it and he writes, he writes his song. So 
Um, Yeah. We'll put a link for him in the show notes too. He'll love that. Because (laughs) one of the first things I did when I was starting to even think about if I was going to write this book or not is that I went through like I went through the Methodist hymnal. I went through the Presbyterian hymnal. I went through uh, my parents go to a Disciples of Christ Church, check that hymnal. And like if you just take out all the Good Friday songs, the Mm -hmm. lament songs are so few and far between. And I, I know, I just know I, I could preach the best sermon of my life. And that um, theology is not going to stick like a good hymn will stick. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's just not. And yeah. so if we're never singing our lament, then like that is it, the lament is literally not accessing the right parts of our brain. Yeah, mm. that's that's so powerful. Is this the bad dog right yeah. here? Yeah. Who is sitting there so calmly and but you see her like trying to lick me. Yeah, her name is Lucky. Oh, she thinks the pandemic is the best thing that has ever happened. Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, sweet girl. Well, I do. I know I had mentioned that part three. I was really excited to see it in light of you know my social work background, but. In it, you focus on uh, public lament as an agent of change. And I know, you know, that is probably a topic that we could have a whole episode on, just that in and of itself, Um, especially in light of what we have seen and navigated as a globe, as a world over the last year. But could you tell us a little bit about what you mean by public lament as an agent of change and what that can look like? Yeah. So I think there are other church traditions that I am not a part of that do this much better than a, than me. And I have the the one critique that I've received about the book that I think, oh, that's probably true, is that they would have loved this section to be longer. Mm. Um, it's the next I, book, right? I don't think a, I don't think a white girl should write that book, mm-hmm. which is why mm-hmm. I think it's short is because mm-hmm. I was making sure to stay in my lane. And so um, see, look, she's trying to sit on the computer. So I just think like, OK, so. All the Old Testament prophets are just public nuisances if you look at what they do. And they're very funny. That's the other thing is like, I think Christians, rightly, like the Christian media that I used to consume, like funny was not their gig. You know, like it, it just wasn't. But the Old Testament prophets are hilarious and like so absurd. And it's just like the most ridiculous thing. Like I love um, one of the prophets like literally just continually sets poop on fire in the public square. And it's like, this stinks. And so does your government. Oh, my gosh. I want some of that. Like I want it. I want to stand and I want, yeah. I'm like, somebody needs to set poop on fire in front of our mayor's house and be like, this stinks. And so does the fact that that jail that you said was going to close hasn't closed yet. Both of those mm. things stink. Like <laughs> that's act. I mean, that's what happened. Um, somebody like laid naked in the middle of the square and was uh, until they had body sores, like, bed source and then they just flipped over like and they just continue to lay there right and all of this stuff is like people are like oh my gosh it's so weird and it's like yeah god's kind of weird like uh rachel held evans was like man we need to keep christianity weird and it's really true because mm. all of these like public lament statements i write in the book about 
my kids go to a um, predominantly black school. Like I think my daughter was the only white kid in there when she started in kindergarten. Now they're like four white families and she's about to go to middle school. But like um, they learn about things so much earlier Hmm. because they, and, and the one thing that, that really, it shook me a little bit. She was like, maybe in the third or fourth grade, she came home and she started talking about Emmett Till. Hmm. And I was like, how do you know about that? She was like, we learned about it in school. And I was so uncomfortable with the fact that she knew about it because I know she's the only white girl in the class. This kid, uh, this child, Emmett Till was lynched because a white woman said that he whistled at her even though now she says that's not true and i was i was like oh i don't know if i'm ready for this and then i was thinking oh my gosh of course i need to be ready for this because my daughter is going to grow up to be a white woman and she needs to know how powerful that might be in certain circumstances she hangs out with black kids all the time she needs to know right now Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to like yep. have these public conversations. And one of the stories that I just think is so powerful is Emmett Till's mother was like, I will be having an open casket because if you did this to my kid, the least you're going to do is see it. Mm-hmm. And that it's that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like this mother had to make that tragic decision. And then however many years later, I am still. Because she's like, you will not hide what happened to my child. And then my kid comes home from school and I'm like, oh, maybe they should have hid that a little bit. Oh, no. What we're going to do is say out loud and in public that this stuff is not okay. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So good. good. Yeah. I, I also think it's really important, especially for public figures, if they change their minds to change their minds well in public to like when you realize mm. that what you used to believe was harmful, it's really important that you repent. Yeah. And you say like, you know what? I like for me, I was really late to the affirming game in Christianity. I am not proud of how long that took, despite the fact that I had gay friends. I still was not affirming for a really long time, Mm. and that is not okay. And I hurt people with that theology. Mm. Christians should should be the best at being wrong. Mm. Like the Bible is full of people who like turn on a dime, change their mind. God changes them. And instead, we're terrible at it. We will like (laughs) hold a position forever. And it's like actually... The Bible invites us to explore yeah. our understanding of things and to to say, I God changed my heart on this. Yeah. But that's another one of those things where you really need some good models to show you how to do that because it's so countercultural. And and instead, people love to just like delete all their old history like it never happened. And then they're like, what are you talking about? I always felt like this. So then your choices are to like be affirming from birth or to just never. Because there's so few people who are willing to say like this theology that I held was wrong. Let me show you how I got here. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. I mean, it reminds me so much of the importance of humility 
particularly in this area around um, public lament as an agent of change. Like you have to having to have that heart or that disposition of humility is so important, especially through each of the pieces that you're talking about. And, you know, and mentioning how Christians, you know, this, this is something that, you know, hopefully we are practicing humility and being willing to say we got it wrong or we're sorry, or, you know, we will sit beside you and lament publicly Mm -hmm. through this rather than pridefully acting like we have it all together because we we don't. Or or if you would just give me the tools, I could fix it. Right. That's Mm. right. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's so good. So listeners, if you want to connect with Abby, you can connect with her at abbynorman.net or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Abby Norman Says. You can buy this new book. You can you you can talk to God like that. I'm going to get that emphasis right. The Surprising Power of Lament to Save Your Faith wherever you buy books. You can connect with Holly at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvore. Abby, thank you so much for hanging out with us and, and yeah. uh, teaching us a bit today about lament. Mm-hmm. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Um, I just want to give an invitation if, if this feels scary or confusing, that's okay. But if you are, are stuck, then like, just try it. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com.